Welcome to the sermon podcast for Canton Church. We gather every week in Canton, Georgia to worship and grow together through God's work. We exist because generations matter. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. When, uh, when Corey and I first got married, uh, I had already been living in Mobile, Alabama for about three months. Um, I moved down there and uh, took a job as a youth pastor in Mobile. Uh, we had been living in Tennessee and uh, we, we were in, engaged, and I got this job, and so we weren't supposed to get married until December, but uh, the job started in October, and so I moved down ahead of time, moved into a little rental house, and then when we got married, we went on our honeymoon, and we came straight back from our honeymoon to Mobile. I had already moved Corey's things down there uh, over the previous few months or whatever, so that as soon as we got back from our honeymoon, we went straight to Mobile. And we moved into, or she came and moved into the house that we had kind of found together there, um, into a little rental house. It was just under 800 square feet. Um, It was really, really old. Um, Now, I'm going to show you a picture I found on Google Maps. This is it right here. They have renovated it. It looks like a nice house right now. Um, I I think that sounded like I was saying it wasn't a nice house then, because that's exactly what I meant. But, um, (laughs) But it was... Uh, like it, it, it looks, I'm telling you, like they've redone the side, they put actual siding on there. Uh, but it was like the hardwood floors uh, were not, I don't know what they were made out of, but it was, it was old and, and it didn't matter how well you cleaned it. It was dirty. And the only shower, the only bath, there was no bathtub. The only shower in the entire house was one of those like insert stand-up showers, but it wasn't inserted into anything. It was just in the house, in the utility closet that also doubled as the, you know, the, the laundry room that was like outside kind of in this like concrete hallway that connected the kitchen to the great outdoors. And so it was like you left the kitchen out of this door and you went into this like cinder block hallway that you assume would lead you to your death. And then on the right was this insert shower that was inserted into nothing. And then beyond that, you know, we were married. And so somebody had given us, you know, a washing machine and then someone had given us a dryer that did not match the washing machine. And so beside the inserted shower inserted into nothing, there was this, you know, washer dryer kind of combo there on the left. And that was the laundry room slash, you know, shower slash great outdoors hallway. And so I remember that in the time that we lived there in this little rental house that Corey wore flip-flops every time she was in the shower. Like she, she couldn't like bring herself to like stand. And she, it was just, you know, okay. So 800 square feet, right? It wasn't even quite 800 square feet, a little, little smaller than that. So we were highly motivated to find a house, like to buy a house. Um, we were newly married uh, we weren't really in a position right then to buy a house, but we, we had looked, and, and honestly, at that point in the market, some of you are familiar with kind of real estate and the real estate market and all that kind of stuff. It was during a different time uh, of, of real estate and in that, that era there in Mobile, but we felt like we could purchase a house, based on everything we had looked at, we felt like we could purchase a house, and our monthly payment would be cheaper than what it was costing people to rent a house. And so we looked around, and we looked around, and there was an awesome lady in our church there who was a, uh, her husband had been in ministry, and so we were, you know, young little youth pastors, you know, that didn't know what we were doing, and um, we were married uh, three months, and we found out we were three weeks pregnant. That was not the plan. Uh, and so then she just kind of felt like, hey, I want to help you find a house, and so she did. And so we bought a house. It was a huge step up from 800 square feet. It had 982 square feet, and it looked like this. Um, and I'm telling you, it felt like we moved into the Taj Mahal. It really did. 
uh, because we owned it. Like it wasn't even, like it, you know, it was in a little better condition and it, it had been uh, a foreclosure and the bank had come in and done some things because the people that lived there before us, they were renting it. Um, and so then they like just destroyed this house. Like they ripped cabinets off the wall. Literally what they told us was they, they were getting evicted by the person that owned the house and they took like plates, like, you know, that you eat off of and put them on the carpet and like spray painted around them and like just punched holes in the walls and all. And some of you that own rental properties are like, yeah, I think they lived in my house at some point in the past. And so the, you know, the guy like let the house go and then the bank came in and they fixed it up. So when we moved in, it had, you know, like new carpet and it had new cabinets and we were able to go in and paint and decorate, which we couldn't do in a rental house. Because there's a different mindset between being a renter and being an owner. There's just a different mindset. Again, it doesn't even matter the house. The, the two houses were very similar in size. They were really close to one another. They were in the same part of town. There's just a different mindset between being a renter and being an owner. Now, that doesn't say that all renters spray paint circles in the carpet. It doesn't mean that they all rip cabinets off the wall because you've got a security deposit you're hoping to get back. So you, you probably refrain from doing that. I get it. Some people are great renters. But there is a different mindset when you rent something from when you own it. Jeff Foxworthy, who's a comedian, he tells the story of his lovely mother who just, you know, loves the Lord and she's just this prim and proper old lady until she rents a car. He said, then she's jumping curbs and she's doing 80. He said, in her car, she won't do over 50. But in a rental car, she's doing 80 down the interstate. And she's like, he's like, mom, what are you doing? She's like, it's fine. It's a rental, right? Because there's just a different mindset when you're the owner versus when you're renting something. And today I want to spend a little time talking about that as we continue this generation series out of Deuteronomy chapter 6. If you've got a Bible, you can flip with me there to Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's early in the Old Testament uh, there towards the front of your Bible. Uh, Deuteronomy 6 is where we've been for the last couple weeks, and two weeks ago we began this series called Generations, where we started to define our why as a church. And what we discussed, what we decided is that generations matter. They matter to God, so they matter to us. And that the story of God throughout the Bible is a story of generations. That it is about faith being handed from one generation to the next, to the next, to the next. And so today I want to spend a little more time in Deuteronomy chapter 6 as we continue this series. We'll begin reading in verse 1. We'll read the first two verses, and then we're going to jump to verse 10 if you're following along. This is what it says in Deuteronomy 6. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Skip to verse 10. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large, flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the, hand, out of the land of slavery. Now we've talked a couple of weeks in a row already about the context here, but just in case you're catching up, this is Moses, the mouthpiece of God to the people of God, the children of Israel. They have come out of captivity in Egypt. They were slaves in Egypt. They have come out of captivity in Egypt, and they are heading towards the promised land. 
They're heading towards the land that had been promised to their father Abraham, their great-great-great-great-grandfather way back in the book of Genesis. And so as they come out of captivity, having spent hundreds of years there, they spend about 40 years in the desert as God is getting the Egypt out of them, the slavery mindset out of them, so that they can walk into the promised land and become a warring people to take possession of the land that God has promised to them. And so what we read here is that Moses, through the words of God, is directing the people, remember the commands, the decrees, the laws that the Lord your God gives to you, so that when you get into the land, it may go well for you, your children, and your children's children. And so we talked about this idea that it's generations. And then in verse 10, which we've read a couple of times already in this series, verses 10 through 12, we read this incredibly like poetic language that says, when you get there and you drink from wells you didn't dig and you eat from vineyards and olive groves that you didn't plant, and when you eat and are satisfied, remember the Lord your God. Now notice what it didn't say. It didn't say, when you get there and you drink from wells you didn't dig, cap the wells. It doesn't say, when you get there and you come across this olive grove, or you come across this vineyard and you recognize, we didn't plant this one, this is not the one we, you know, we put in the ground here. You know, instead of eating, just go ahead and burn it to the ground, cut all the trees down, like make sure you don't enjoy Anything that's already there that I've provided, make sure he didn't say burn it down, cut the trees down. What did he say? He said, Listen, when you eat and are satisfied, when you get there and there are wells that you drink from, which you can drink from, when your belly is filled, remember the Lord. When you eat from vineyards, when you eat from olive groves, he even talks about when you see the houses that are filled with all of good things you didn't provide, and you see the large cities that you didn't build. Remember the Lord. Why? Because they had been in the desert for 40 years. They had been renting dirt for 40 years. It wasn't theirs. It wasn't the promised land, nor was it the place where they had been slaves and lived for hundreds of years. They were just in transition. Like the goal when Corey and I moved to Mobile was not to live in the first house that I showed you. That wasn't the long-term plan. Like, hey, we're going to retire here. This is the house. We're going to raise our grandchildren here. We couldn't have fit more than like a grandchild in that house with us with the stand-up shower that wasn't standing up in anything, right? So that was not the long-term plan. Well, neither was the desert. Neither was that place in the long-term plan of God. It was just part of the transition plan. They had been renters in the desert. And God says, when you walk into the land, when you walk into the promised land, you go from being renters to being owners. Like it's yours. You possess it. I've promised it to you. I've given it to you. You got to shift your mindset and you go from being renters to being owners. Now, why were they renters? In the desert, think about what was happening. God was providing everything that they needed in the desert. How awesome is that? Like, they didn't really have to do anything. They just got up every morning, and manna pancakes were laying outside the tent, pick it up, eat. The Bible actually tells us that their clothes did not wear out the whole time that they were there. They're just, they're just walking around in clothes that always look new, eating food that God provided. They didn't have to go out and be hunter-gatherers. They just go out and be gatherers. Like the blessings of God are right on their doorstep every morning. God is providing for them. They're renters. 
God's just saying, listen, you know, you just kind of inhabit this desert land for a little while as I get all the stuff out of you that doesn't honor me so that when you get there, you have an owner mindset to take over the land that I've promised you and you can operate differently. Luke chapter 12, verse 24 says this. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap. They have no storeroom nor barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable you are than the birds. God was acknowledging in Deuteronomy 6 what he also promises us here in the book of Luke. He's saying, listen, when you get there and you're drinking from wells you didn't dig, that's not a bad thing because I'm your provider. Like in the desert, as your renters, I'm providing manna. I'm making sure your clothes don't wear out. When you get there, the manna's going to stop, and it eventually does when they get into the promised land. Not the first day, but when they get in and they actually take inhabitation there in the land. The manna stops. The blessings of God in that way stop. But God says, listen, but I've already gone ahead of you. There's already a group of people that have lived there before you, and they dug a bunch of wells that you're going to be able to draw water from. And they planted orchards and vineyards, and they, they planted these olive groves, and you're going to be able to enjoy the spoils of that as the new owners in the land. You get to reap the benefit. Right before we moved out of the first home that we owned, we, had, we were selling it, and as we were selling it, the real estate agent came in and said, hey, you know, the, the little concrete patio that's right out the back door, it's very small, said, you know, it would probably be like really appealing if you extended that. I think she probably thought we were going to hire a contractor who would come and pour concrete and it would be even and smooth and nice, but evidently she didn't know me too well. So here's what we did. <laughs> I was like, I got this. Some of you that know me well know I ain't got that, all right? So I looked it up. I felt like I knew it. I put some boards, and they were somewhat straight, and I you know, dug it out, and it was somewhat flat. And then I bought some like quick crete, and I was mixing it, and we we're going to like flatten it and smooth it. God bless the people that moved in there after us because there's this really smooth square patio, and then there's like this runoff <laughs> of somewhat unsmooth other quick crete kind of. But you know what? They didn't have to build it. I did. A previous owner did something that a new owner got to enjoy or tear up and have an actual contractor fix. I don't know. God says, listen, when you get into the land, there's some things that the previous owners did and you get to enjoy. You'll draw water out of wells. You didn't, do it. You didn't break your back to dig those wells. You didn't have to plant seed and wait on the olive groves to grow up. They're just there. You, you show up day one, and you get to enjoy the spoils. In Luke chapter 12, he said, listen, you think about the, the ravens. They don't plant seed. They don't sow. They don't reap. They don't, do, they don't have storerooms or barn, and yet God feeds them, and if God would feed them, you are more valuable than them. That means God provides for you. God is our provider, so they're out in the desert, and the manna's coming, and the, as renters, God's providing all these things. But they've got to change their mindset when they get into the land to continue to see God as provider. Because here's the deal. When you show up and you build your house, you get into the land, and eventually they split the land up, and this tribe gets this amount, and this tribe gets this amount. And you go to that part of the land, and somebody says, hey, this is your lot. And you go to that lot, and you build your house, and you look around, and you're like, look what I did. On the back part of your lot, there's a well there, and it's been there, and you don't know who built it, and you don't know how it got there. But now you have a lot with a home that you built, 
with a well that was already there. So that's like a selling feature. That's awesome. If you're not careful, your mindset shifts from seeing God as provider to seeing you as provider. From seeing God as the giver of all good things, because he gave manna and the clothes didn't wear out. Now the clothes wear out, so we've got to make new clothes. But look how nice the new clothes that we've made are, that we made. As you shift your mindset from being a renter to being an owner, it's important that you don't shift your mindset away from God being your provider. And I wrote this question down. I actually just added it just a few minutes before service into this so that you could see it as I read it. But here's the question today. Do you view God as provider at all times or do you only ask him to provide when you run out of the end of your resources? What I mean is like you work a job, you've got a job, you get a paycheck. Do you view that paycheck as the provision of God in your life or is that a result of your hard work and you don't really see God as provider until somehow something comes up and you run out of your resources that you created with your hands, and then all of a sudden you need God to put on his provider hat and go, God, it's tight right now. I need you to show up and be provider now. Now, thank God God doesn't answer prayers like I do, but sometimes I think if God were just even the smallest bit sarcastic, first of all, it would be awesome. Second of all, I think he might respond and say, I've always been provider. The paycheck that you get every week or every other week or every month or every quarter or at the end of the year, whatever it is, that's a result of me too, not just in times of crisis. But when we, when we go from being renters to being owners, sometimes we shift our mindset and we think, look at what I did. Look at what I provided. But if we view him as our provider, it changes the way that you view what you have. If we truly view God as our provider, then it changes how we view everything that we have, everything that we possess then becomes the blessings of God and not what we have acquired. It becomes less about how we choose to spend all of our discretionary income, because it's all discretionary, to the place that we view that God has entrusted it to us, and he, uses, he asks us to use wisdom to be a good steward of those resources. It changes everything about the way we view what we have when we view God as provider. It's the reason that I believe in tithing. I believe in giving. I believe in generosity because I believe that what God is saying to me in his scripture and what I believe God has spoken to me and then showed me is that if I honor God with what he entrusts into my hand and I give him 10% of everything he's provided, the 100% to me, if I give him 10% back, he can do more through the 90% left in my hands than I can do with the 100% if I hold it all myself. And some of you don't agree with that. You've not seen that principle to be true. You've never really tested that to know if it's true. You just disagree with it in theory. And let me just say that I understand. I understand it's tough. Everything around us would say, you take, you take, you take, you hold. It doesn't make you greedy. It just makes you smart. You want to acquire as much as you can, spend the things that you need to. There are fixed expenses and discretionary expenses, and we want to do nice things, and we want to do fun things, and we want to do the things that we need and the things that we want. And so all of that comes together, and you're like, I just, at the end of it, I just don't have enough to give to God. But what I had to eventually shift in my mindset is before I do all of the other stuff that I have to do, First of all, I'm going to want to give to God. And so we give first. And when we give first, 
It's amazing to watch the rest of that money continue to stretch to cover everything else that we just have to do. It's amazing to watch God do that. But when I view God as provider, it changes the way that I view money. It changes the way that I view giving. It changes the way that I view myself in the concept of stewardship. It also changes the way that I view saving. We've not always been really good at saving. We give and then we spend, and sometimes we save when there's a little left over. That's not something that we've always been really good at. We try to be good at it. In certain seasons we are, and then, you know, it's like bad luck happens and the AC unit messes up or the car messes up. We drive, you know, old cars, and, you know, right now I got an issue with my car, and so, you know, it just happens, right? And so you're like, well, I don't have any extra savings anymore because I spend it on all these other things. But it, view, it changes the way that I view everything about money. If I think about this in Proverbs 13, 22. A good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children, but a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. A good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children, but a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. It doesn't even say that you leave an inheritance for your children. It says that you leave an inheritance for your children's children, generations. Now, the truth about inheritance and there's, there's a lot of truths about it, but if you just break it down to the simplest idea of inheritance, here's what it means. It means that somewhere along the way, somebody chose not to spend everything they had. I mean, that, that's what it means. It just means that at some point, somewhere, somebody, your grandfather, your father, or you decide we're not going to spend everything we have so that we have something to leave for somebody else. We have something to give to the next generation and to the next generation. So we're going to take what we have and we're going to invest it. Maybe you invested in a life insurance policy that at some point pays out, or maybe you invested in something that gets a rate of return or an interest rate, and you give that away after you've passed on, or maybe even while you're still living, so you see them enjoy some of that. But at some point, somebody's got to decide that if I'm not going to spend everything I have, then that allows me to leave an inheritance to those who come after me. I'm going to invest in something that's actually investing in the future. There's a difference in a renter mindset and an owner mindset. And so here at Canton Church, we're at that place. We're at that place where we kind of get to look towards our future. We have a long-term future. We have a short-term future. We're at that place where we're kind of looking at the next phase of what God is doing. And it's awesome to think about all that God has already done, and it's awesome to think as I dream a little bit about all that I believe God is going to continue to do. And we told you a few months ago that we're in a position now to expand our facility. The reason that we're in that position is twofold. One, we, we have, money has come in, you guys have been faithful, we have the finances to begin the project, and we're going to raise the rest of that money, which we'll talk about in a minute. The second reason is that people continue to come to Canton Church. New people keep coming. Now, there might be an empty seat or two or 10 or 12 around you or you see in this space, but over the last uh, eight months in this year, our attendance from last year to this year is up over 20%. I was able to tell our trustees that this past week. In the last four months, it's up 30%. And the next service will be even fuller than this service. We continue to try to push people to 930 from 11 o'clock. God has continued to bring new people to call this place home. And so as a part of that and as a because, because of the health of our finances, we're in a position to expand. We talked about that a few months ago. And the expansion is going to be in two parts. One, we're going to go that way, and the second one, we're going to go that way. 
Going that way is going to open up some new office space on the end so we can take the current office space and turn it into other meeting rooms and classroom and life group space. Going this way is going to expand the auditorium so that the seats we have in here now, we're able to expand and create somewhere between 80 and 100 new seats in the auditorium, which is going to be awesome. There's a nail salon right there right now, so we've got to wait till they move. But I'm happy to report that this, this week they finally started working on construction downstairs. Nobody amen me right there. That's fine. It's all right. I had a party. It's fine. I pulled into the parking lot and saw the construction permit on the window, had a little party, but it's fine. It's fine. If, you, if you're not excited about that, it's no big deal. So they started, which begins the process for us in moving forward. We were at a delay until that happened. As that begins happening even more this week, then we start to move forward with our plans. And so as a part of that, I wanted to show you what the expansion is actually going to look like. Now, all I have are some architectural blueprint type drawings, and we put them up on the screen. You may not be able to see them. If you want to see them in greater detail, we can show you the actual print pieces. So this is the full expansion, including what we already have. And I'm going to step over here to try to point to some things. I should have had like a pointer. But you're sitting in the auditorium now that's only two of these rectangles wide. We're adding that third rectangle. This is where the stage is at. You're seated right here. We're going to pick up an entire new unit. So the stage will expand in width. We'll add some things along the side. And this hallway will connect us to the nail salon. And we're going to pick up two more bathrooms back there. Nobody amen. That's fine. It's totally fine. I understand. <laughs> but we're going to pick that up. It'll change the layout. We're going to change the, the handicap ramp on this side so that if people need to get on, they can. We'll move the sound booth. So that'll happen in the auditorium. On this end down here... This is our current office and conference room and multi-purpose room space. All of that will move over. I forgot I put in a bigger picture. Thank you, guys. That will move over. We'll have that on this hallway to create some other space here to be able to create some larger life group, life group type spaces in that second unit, the existing unit now. And then if, if no woman in the room amens me in a minute, we're all going home, okay? We're changing the women's restrooms right out here in the lobby. And where right now this is... I got one amen. That's fine. So right here, this is the current uh, hallway that gets you into two bathroom doors, but opens back into the hallway. This will open into a bathroom suite for ladies. Thank you. Thank you so much. No, no, no. I don't need your pity. I don't need your pity. It's fine. I've already, I've already figured out. You're not with me. It's 11 o'clock is going to shout me down right there, but that's fine. But that'll open up into a restroom suite. There'll be a totally different layout. And then we also pick up two more restrooms down this back hallway going into the nail salon. Because our, our expansion will take our capacity uh, opportunity from about 280 in the total facility at one time to over 400 at one time. So what that allows us to do is reach more people, create more space for more people to come and to be served. But it also means that to do that, we got to create new bathroom, restrooms, exits, all that kind of stuff. So we're in the process of doing that. So if you want to see these plans in greater detail, I can show you those. But I am so excited about this expansion because I think what it does is it allows us to be better stewards. It allows us to see God as provider, to reap the blessings of God, and to try to steward those blessings to reach more people for God. I've told you many times that the story in the Old Testament, there was a widow, and, and this widow had a debt, and she had a son, and the debt collectors were coming, and they wanted her to pay the bills, and if she couldn't pay the bills, they were going to take her son off to jail. And the prophet comes by, and he says, what do you have? And she says, I just have a little bit of oil left in this jar. 
He says, go to all your neighbors and get all the empty jars that you possibly can. She says, okay. So she goes and gets these empty jars, and then she starts. He says, now what I want you to do is take the oil, and I want you to pour it into the empty jars. And she did, but when she poured the oil from the one jar into the next jar, like it filled up that jar, and she was probably like, well, that's weird. Then she moves it over and gets the other empty jar, and she pours it, and it keeps pouring until it fills up. And as long as she had empty jars, the oil continued to flow. And the Bible says that whenever she had no more empty jars, the oil stopped. And here has been my prayer for Canton Church all along. God, we want to create more empty space for you to fill. We just want to create more empty space for you to fill. God, we'll create more empty space for you to fill. We'll create, we put more chairs out in here. There's a little more room now than there was a few weeks ago. We put more chairs out here. Now we've got more space. God, fill it up. God, help us to fill it up. Help us to invite our friends and our families to come and to be with us in church, at Can Church. Because God, we'll just keep creating more empty space and we're asking you to fill it. Life groups, 21 life groups this semester. That's awesome. We're expanding the facility, creating more space for groups to meet, meetings to take place, people to be served, overflow for kids' ministry, new spaces for Kids Life Extra so that when you serve and you attend, your kids aren't sitting in the same classroom, your older kids are not sitting in the same classroom, hear the same thing over and over. It's awesome, but by the second time, they probably would be bored. So we create a separate environment for them called Kids Life Extra that moves them into a different environment into this new space where they can go, hey, I've got something new I'm experiencing at the second service time. So while my parents attended the first service, I was in service. And while they're serving, I'm getting to do something extra. We create more space. God, we'll create more emptiness for you to fill it. God, we'll create more emptiness for you to fill it. That's what we believe God was doing. But there's a cost. So as a part of that cost, here's what we need to do. The total cost for the project, complete cost, is going to be about $190,000. But through your generosity, we only have to raise about $100,000. You've already given. People have already pledged. People have already said, hey, I'm going to give. I'm going to give it this amount, or I'm going to try my best to give it this amount. I believe, as I stand here today, i got to raise $100,000 to make this happen. Not today. I'm not asking 100 people to stand with $1,000. That's not how we do things at Canton Church. Unless you have $1,000 in your pocket and you want to give it to me, it's totally fine. Just stand right now. No, I'm just kidding. No, we got to raise $100,000. Here's the plan. Here's how we're going to do it. September the 10th, we're going to come and take up a facility offering. It's going to be a special day because we're going to do something really cool on that day that has nothing to do with a facility offering. And it wasn't meant to be like this, but it's just the way that the Lord's kind of worked it together. September 10th is going to be a really special day for a lot of reasons. But on that day, one of the special things is we're going to take up a facilities offering. And I believe, I was praying about it this morning, okay? Some of, this, you're, some of you are going to start sweating right now. I believe on that day that we could bring in $40,000 cash. That's what I believe. We've got to raise $100,000. I believe on that day we could bring in $40,000. And then the other thing that we're going to give you the opportunity to do is pledge. You say, well, I, I mean, I can't, I can't give a ton today. But what we're going to do is we're going to start a six-month giving campaign. September 10th to March the 11th. And we're going to give you the opportunity to say, listen, between now and March, I want to pledge X amount of dollars. And I know, here's what I know, beyond any doubt right now, I know some of you are thinking, man, I, I, I can't give to the point that it would even matter. 
I don't make a lot of money. I don't have a lot of money. My bills are already kind of overwhelming. It's a little bit tight. I, I don't, you know, I mean, honestly, if I'm just being honest, I don't really give to the church anyway. I can't tithe. I don't feel like I can give in, uh, over and above anything. I mean, it's just, I've, I, I've got what I've got. Here's what I believe. I believe with all of my heart that God is ordaining this expansion. I believe that, and ordaining is just a fancy word. God's got a plan. I believe that with all of my heart. And I also believe that you're here and God wants to use you to help accomplish what God is doing. And so you could say, God, I just want to be a good steward. And so as I open my hands, I don't open them in a closed way that whatever you put into it stays with me. I open my hands in an open way that says, God, if you put into my hands, I will allow it to come out of my hands to bless somebody else. We're going to reach new generations of families because of this expansion. I believe it because generations matter. And so you say, well, I don't think over the next three or four weeks before September the 10th, I want you to be in prayer. God, what would you have me to give and what would you have me to pledge? If you can only bring $10 to give, bring it. Because what you're saying to God is, God, whatever I have, I entrust to you and I believe that you can do more with a little bit than I can do with a lot. So God, I want to give and I want to pledge. I want to be a part of what you're doing. Over the last few weeks, I have tried to be as clear as I possibly can about who I believe God is calling us to be and who I believe God is taking us to become. I've tried to be as clear as I can be because clarity does two things. Clarity makes it easy for people that identify with what we're describing to go, yeah, this is definitely my home church. But clarity also does something for some of you that are sitting here this morning. Clarity makes it easy for you to know that this is not the place for you. And I would never, never, ever, ever, ever want you to leave. That's not my heart. Hopefully you know that by now. But I also understand that if in this season of time, as you hear who we are and who we are becoming, if you just go, I know this is not the place for me. There are some incredible churches in this community. And I know a lot of the pastors, and I promise you, if you tell me authentically, like, we like it here. We just know this is not us. We don't resonate with this. I will help you find a new church. I'll set up the lunch. I'll buy the lunch with you and the pastor or the connections guy or the student pastor. I, I promise I'll do it because my heart for you is that you would be in a place where you are not a renter. You're not just renting a chair. You're not just showing up and saying like, this is just, I just, you know, I'm just kind of here casually, but it's not the long-term plan. I want you to put down roots here. I'm here. We're here. We're, we're here long term. We put down roots. This is where we want to be. We're owners here. Not because we own it, but because we're invested here. And we're here. And if you can't say that, then we want to help you find a place where you can connect, where you can go, I want to be an owner. I want to invest. I want to give of my time and my resources. I want to plug my family in as fully as we can be plugged in because this is where we belong. And I want that to be here for you because I don't want you to feel like you're just walking in and renting a chair until you find a better chair somewhere else. I want you to be an owner here. I want you to be invested here. I want you to find a place in Canton Church where you can say, I want to match my heart to the heart of this house because I believe when that happens, God will do supernatural things. I believe God will do supernatural things. That's what I want to see. That's what I'm believing. Over the next few weeks, I want you to be in prayer. God, what would you have me to give? What would you have me to pledge? But even beyond that, God, help me to be an owner here. 
not just a renter. Help me to give myself fully to this place, but help this place to give itself fully to me. And God, as we do that, help us to see the supernatural. We'll keep creating emptiness for you to fill. I want us to pray. And as we do, we just, we ask God today to give us his wisdom, his discernment, which just means clarity about what he would have us to do. And we ask him to start a process now in us that will last for the next few weeks so that we know how we can be owners and not just renters. God, I thank you for every person that's in this place. I thank you for the opportunity today to hear from you through worship and through your word. My heart, my prayer is always in moments like this that I will have not said anything that would create greater confusion, would cause people to misunderstand what I believe that you're doing here. So God, now I ask as sincerely as I can that you would help this to be a place where the people in this room, the people in the next service, those that couldn't be here today but are a part of this house, that God, they would see this as a place where they're invested. They're just not renting a chair on Sunday. This is their place. This is their home. They're invested here. God, so give us wisdom over the next few weeks to know how we can be a part of leaving an inheritance for our children's children. Maybe not even in this facility, but as a part of the story that you're writing long-term through Canton Church. God, we thank you. We honor you now, and I pray for greater clarity every person in the room that this would be a place they could call home or that they would know beyond any doubt that you're calling them somewhere else and God that we would bless them and help them to make that transition because God we believe with all of our hearts I believe with all of my heart that you're doing something special here not because of us but because of you for your glory and for your honor and God we can't wait to be a part of the story that you're writing for Canton Church to transform this community so that marriages are restored, so that children come back and find life in Christ, not just for us or even our children, but for our children's children, because generations matter. They matter to you, so they matter to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening. If you would like more information about today's message or about our church, we invite you to visit us at cantonchurch.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash cantonchurchga. 